In a week where rivalries took center stage, a sea of red was stopped by a charging herd of buffalo, while the Broncos entered a black hole from which nothing can return. With fall fast approaching, can the Broncos escape their early mistakes? Will the buffalo herd continue to charge? You're entering the Denverse. And we are here. Shout out to Derek for the beautiful intro. Uh, this is Quinn. I'm Derek. And we're in the Denver's. Another weekly update of sports in and around the Mile High City. Um, so we're really excited about the Broncos. I think we had a great um, preseason recap and into the season um, breakdown. And... What was proven wrong or right going into the week one loss? At well, Oakland? especially from our predictions, everything was wrong. Like the things we thought were going to be issues weren't the main issues. It was other things. Like yeah. it was like Von Miller and Bradley Chubb couldn't even hit Derek Carr. Um, just real quick, the Broncos on Monday night played their last game in Oakland against the Raiders, lost 24-16, which is closer than the game was because yeah. the Broncos scored a late touchdown. Um, it was shocking. It was just like the worst games are the ones where you just have no fun at all. And yeah, 24-16 doesn't even begin to describe how the Raiders dominated the Broncos on like every single level. Um, it seemed almost like a comic version of all of the offensive problems that we've talked about for the past four years now. Um, Comically, like, yeah, this is exactly what we're expecting, but also just, like, everything just seemed real boring, which last game in Oakland, season opener against the hated Raiders, you're expecting some fireworks, and it was more like the – sparkler set you get at the Walgreens and pretending that it's a big deal. Well, I agree. And I think if you had disappeared for the last year, you would think Vance Joseph was still the coach because the coaching staff was in such disarray. The defense, it didn't seem like they could adjust at all. And the offense, the one thing I will say was that offense looked like nothing I've ever seen in pro football with some of the plays they were calling. Oh yeah. The opening play to Fant where it was the end around where he got the ball handed off and then got immediately tackled behind the line of scrimmage was one of the worst play calls I've ever seen because Fant is not a fast guy. He's a tight end. You don't hand the ball off to a tight end. And that was how they started the game. Yeah, and from there, it just seemed like a bunch of dudes in terms of the coaching staff trying to prove themselves by outsmarting themselves. Um, There was also the... Super interesting red zone play with, I think, five guys lined up on the left side of the field for a screen. And it was just like one center, one guard, um, like in front of the quarterback. It just it, it looked so much like they were trying to wow everyone else when really we just wanted a more efficient offense. 
and it fooled no one. It cost some momentum. And if you didn't watch college football, you would have never seen that play before. Like they were trying a bunch of stuff from college. Yeah. And there's a reason that you don't run those plays in college. The play, the players are too smart and the pros to fall for that stuff. Too smart, too talented. And, um, we really discounted what the Raiders brought to the table. Everyone thought, oh, they were a terrible team last year. The A-B saga, which as of even yesterday has taken another terrible twist and turn for this individual, but really thought, oh, the Raiders are going to be disheartened um, playing on a terrible field um, that there just wasn't – they weren't going to have any momentum, but they came out hitting with speed and execution that the Broncos offensively, defensively, and special teams couldn't match at all. And I think the thing for me, and I think we should definitely get a little more into the coaching staff, is that the players that we felt like needed to step up and have good games actually had pretty good games. Like, if you'd said before the game, Joe Flacco was 21 of 31 for 268 yards, sounds pretty good. No interceptions. He only had the one touchdown, but that was okay. It's a 105.3 QB rating, but the QBR is terrible. It's a 38.5. So the three sacks for 19 yards killed him. Yeah. And there was that one play where, well, one thing they did with Flacco was they tried to convince themselves he's a mobile quarterback, so he kept rolling out, and he's not. He's just as mobile as Peyton was. <laughs> it's not a good idea. And there was that one play where he, all five of the rushers were around him for like three seconds, and finally he got sacked because no one was open. And it was like, he can't move. Any other quarterback in the league would have run in that point. That was the only option on that play. Yeah. And he didn't do it. Run or throw away, and he got sacked. Well, I mean, that was... Flacco was such an interesting guy coming in the league because he was a big passer who did have the mobility. But over the years, he's become a pocket quarterback and coming off of injury long stint of being okay in Baltimore. Yeah, there were several times. What, one thing he did do great, which we're just not used to, was a quarterback stepping up in the pocket with pressure around. Yeah. I think he played decent, but there were a couple of times where, yeah, there was a covered sack because he just absolutely was not going to. Um, and his one strength, throwing the ball far, that was like not in the game plan. He did it like twice. Yeah. Which was crazy. Really late in the game. Yeah. They started airing it out a little bit. And actually, like Cortland Sutton, we were talking about. He had a great game. He was, yeah, he was the best receiver. Both Freeman and Lindsey had really good games. Like they didn't probably use either one enough or the way that they should have. But not only was Lindsey elusive again, he also had that great block where he just got destroyed, but he still made enough time for Flacco to make the play. That was a great play. Yeah. Like, it's clear that the offense has the talent other than the line, which was, again, a problem. And Juwan Jones, who they spent $17 million on, got hurt in the first quarter, and now the medical staff is being elusive about what is actually wrong with him. So anywhere he's out from four weeks to it could be a season-ending injury because it's something up with the knee. Yeah, the line again, left a lot to be desired. Well, in some talk that I heard after, they basically haven't made Ronald Leary practice at all. He had those three holding penalties. Yeah, That's inexcusable. That is one of the things that you give this coaching staff. They did not prepare their team with five preseason games. They had the most preseason games in the league. That team was not prepared to play football. Well, I mean, preseason is such a frustrating enigma. Um, So far, no one's found, like, the sweet spot. How often do you play the starters so they're up to speed? But 
no way that you risk anybody's health in five full preseason games. But, yeah, especially that first quarter, first half, the Broncos came out looking stiff with very little chemistry. And it's like, yeah, there's probably game three we could have had Flacco out there two to three quarters um, just to get that rhythm and momentum going, which they finally got towards the end. But, again, like a parody of what we've been seeing, terrible red zone offense. They, they drove a couple of times, had some good plays, but then either got sacked to get out of field goal range or had to settle for a field goal because penalties. That was yeah. that the long McManus field goal was penalties. The one that he missed. Yeah. And I don't exactly know why Vic Fangio is a head coach because he talked a bunch about how he really enjoyed being in the booth more. Then he had his defensive coordinator on the sideline with him during the game. So nobody on the defense was in the booth. He was calling the plays, but he isn't like, it's clear that he's not great at clock management yet, which he's never has had to have been, but we just went through this with, uh, what's his name? The <laughs> terrible guy. You, you mean defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals, one Vance Joseph. Yes, Vance Joseph. I mean, I, I think Fangio seems like he says all the right things. I see why people like him. There was no masterminding on that defense. Gruden was calling the offensive plays as the head coach, and Fangio was calling the defensive plays as the head coach. So they were going head-to-head, and there's no question who the better matchup was. Like yeah. It was far and away Gruden. He just made the Broncos look silly. Yeah, and that's it's if I'm an Oakland fan, like again, hard knocks and doctor made me a little bit. I still have lifelong hate for the Oakland Raiders, but it gave me a different perspective. If I'm an Oakland fan, I feel good about this win, especially coming off of all the drama that they dealt with. But I would caution them, like I don't think Gruden's offense and the team will look as good against a more prepared coaching staff. And all the dudes, like the Broncos coaching staff, new to their roles. There were glimmers of hope, except for like the defense. It was really hard to see because Carr was able to get the ball off so quickly and their line was able to open up huge gaps for Josh Jacobs, the um, rookie running back, that it's really hard to see like what went wrong what can you improve on? Because it just looked like such an offensive clinic by the Raiders. But is that their talent, or was it the lack of preparedness on the Broncos' well, defensive end? Not only was the line bad where they got no pressure the entire game, but the secondary, I couldn't believe how bad the secondary was. I mean, we knew Yadam isn't great. Yadam isn't great. I still say Yadam. Yadam. I think it's Yadam. You're right. Until um, he plays well. Yeah. We're not going to concern ourselves with um, pronouncing his name. I mean, right. he was terrible. I don't think anyone was – like, he was worse than he sh- even should have been. Um, and then they can't cover the tight end still. Like, they've done nothing. Simmons had an awful game. Yeah. Which was, as who we thought was going to be the leader of the defense, just terrible. I forgot Derek Wolf was on the team until I saw him interviewed today. Like, that's not completely serious, but did you see him once? No. Um, no one stood out on the defense. No, I it. think – Pecco and Harris played okay, but, like, they weren't great. Like, they didn't really stop the run. No. Wait. Pecco? Oh, sorry. Not Pecco. <laughs> Harris and Jewel. Jewel was okay. Uh, but no, I was going to – Jewel was going to be another guy I was about to talk about, as in, like, can't defend the – none of the linebackers can defend the tight end. And um, 
Jacobs was getting to that second level um, running a whole lot. There were a couple of arm tackles that, like, there no one was there to stuff the run. And, I mean, Harris is still Harris, but a lesser version, especially if the other end of the field is getting absolutely blown up. They're picking on Yadam all night, and that just makes Harris's job that much harder. Well, and then Gruden moved it so that it, that one big play that their tight end had down the middle, somehow Harris was on him. And it was like, this is the one guy Harris has no chance of covering yeah. because he's literally a foot bigger than he is. Both ways, height and width. He yeah. was a foot bigger. <laughs> um, it was – so where are you on the – it's – time to freak out like basically we saw the team we're going to see all year too there's still hope they could still at least win eight games there's still so yeah well like we did the breakdown yes last week of six and ten or four, eight and eight yeah oh, four, four and, and twelve yeah. yeah four and twelve <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> shitty all right playoff team um, I'm hovering still around. This is an all right team because the talent is there. And, um, I just think that they were unprepared, um, from a lot of different aspects. I think they were rattled by a crowd that was so ready to cheer for a good team. And they got that, uh, from Oakland. So I think the Broncos come home. It's not going to be an easy test with a strong, uh, Chicago defense but Chicago's offense doesn't hasn't yet to show that they're um going to be a challenge so hopefully that gives the Broncos defense time to settle in realize that yeah we can knock some people out and then hopefully that gives the offense more time to get in a rhythm so I'm still from shitty all right to playoff team I'm thinking they're going to be all right still, and that there's still potential. You saw it in that second half. If they're able to string some plays together, beef up the red zone um, execution. Because the Broncos would have been in it had Deshaun Hamilton not dropped that touchdown. Yeah. Um, I think the thing for me is I agree with you except for they weren't better in any of the areas we thought they were going to be better. They haven't yet shown that they're a different team than they were last year. Yeah. And that to me is the worry. I'm hoping that they're going to see it. Trubisky looked like the worst quarterback that I watched this weekend on that Thursday night game. Like it wasn't, it was hard to think that anyone thought he was good last year, just from the game on Thursday, which I know isn't fair, but the, also the bears will have the longest to recover and scout of anyone because their game was Thursday night. The Broncos was Monday night. So they have the longest break. The Broncos have yeah. the shortest break, even pushed back because it was a late start. So that was, that was something, but I think we can move on to happy football news. Um, CU's win over Nebraska. So I'm going to sort of tell you how this went down for me because I was at a wedding um, <laughs> with all CU people. We left uh, my friend Jeremy's house at 1.30, right when kickoff started. So we were driving up to Genesee for first half. They were getting killed. It was 17 nothing at halftime. Just nothing. looked like they had no chance at all. So the wedding's getting started. We're going through stuff. It keeps getting better and better. We start the wedding, and they're only like seven points down. And it's like, this is going great. Um, Wedding ends. It wasn't very long. It was like a 15-minute wedding. So we go back 
we're all watching it. Jeremy is off doing his like private vows thing. We're all watching it on my phone. Just lose it when they win the game in overtime. It was a 34-31 win. And start singing the fight song. Jeremy was so upset that he missed the fight song and had the DJ stop so he could sing the fight song again so he could be a part of it. So it was heavily CU wedding. Everyone was happy. Unbelievable. Sounded like a Budweiser commercial. It, it basically was. Um, so that was – it was exciting. It was It was sad for me to not be in Boulder. It was the biggest win CU's had since I started going to school there in 2009 um, at home. Well, we became friends – well, uh, I know we the have Utah the Utah game was the most exciting, but I think this was a bigger win given the circumstances. Okay. There were a lot of wins that year. It hurt my feelings a yeah. little bit, but it's fair. It's that fair. was the greatest CU win <laughs> that actually meant something because they won the Pac-12 South with that win. Um, and we became friends and this podcast was born. Um, but it was interesting. It was interesting seeing how much red was there. You sent me a picture of Nebraska fans downtown. Yeah, it was really upsetting because right after I took that photo, another guy was like, go Big Red. I was like, there's two different groups on my own city block. Um, it was like the whole population of Boulder was at that game. Yeah. From Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, that's where I'm sure it was a super exciting. It's always awesome. It was funny how quickly people storm the field, and in the TV shot, you see them lowering the goalposts. To like, they were so ready for that. Um, they learned their lesson 30 years ago. They <laughs> don't want these phantom goalposts out there still. Yeah, it was from my perspective. I watched the first half. Was like, yeah, it makes sense. Then also was watching tennis. Serena lost. I knew my grandma would be very sad. So I was ready to be like, oh yeah, I'm a sports fan. Misery is most of this experience. Um, but, yeah, then like very much I, like, walked into a place and saw, I was like, oh, they're only down by seven. And then Nebraska broke, like, a 60-yard touchdown run. I said, uh, almost got me. And then, sure enough, they fought back um, in <laughs> pretty much a pretty hostile environment because you had the 19-year-old student section, kids who were barely alive the last time uh, CU and Nebraska played, don't know much about the rivalry, and then you had the Nebraska faithful. Like, Nebraska has nothing else besides the Cornhuskers. The Cornhuskers haven't even been good the last several years. I think the thing, and I actually agree with uh, the coach on this, Mel Tucker, he was like, the thing that we had was our conditioning. Like, we got stronger as the game went on. Nebraska got weaker, which is what should happen every week in Boulder. Yeah. Um, and that – was completely true. It was the complete opposite of how the team has played for years, especially under McIntyre. Um, the year that they won the Pac-12 South, they were okay, but they still, it was like they were holding on to victories. Yeah. They've never been the stronger late half team under McIntyre. They weren't the stronger team at all before that, but just like they were always a better early to mid game team than they were late. So that was a great part of this was that they looked stronger. It looks like the conditioning at least so far is paying off, which is huge because yeah. that's their advantage. He said, we won in the weight room, which yeah. I, I love that quote of uh, like a Georgia dude saying that like that makes me feel good. So I think for CU, it's about toughness and resilience. And I think they have the experience now to expect that. And then it's just the, execution but super exciting to get two rivalry wins under their belt already not gonna have much hope but i'm super excited for them to play air force which they haven't played since like 
the 70s, I think. Yeah, apparently CU fans weren't that nice to the Air Force cadets. <laughs> well, I think that's a different breed of CU fan. I don't think those folks are here anymore. I, I certainly don't believe Air Force fans could whoop CU fans' asses if it came to it. It would be no contest. The best part was the Nebraska fans were just terrible on Twitter. And there was this great picture where they were like, look at the CU students taunting us from the field. No one was flipping anyone off. It was just like a people like waving at them. And like, wow. it was so mild. And Nebraska just couldn't even handle that. Their fans, yeah. See, that's what happened when you leave the Big 12. Yeah. Like, CU went preppy. Nebraska went. What Big 10 is just like prestige, I guess. Yeah. Middle, middle of the country. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently soft, at least from the <laughs> one example. <laughs> Cream corn. <laughs> so um, that was the high of the week. The Rockies weren't the low of the week. They did win two games. We're recording this on Wednesday evening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they won two games this week. So they now only need two wins in their last 17 to not uh, lose 100 games, which would be their worst season of all time. They need a couple more than that. I think they need four wins in their last 17 to not have their worst record of all time. Um, so it's close here. Um, the the highlight of the week was Tuesday night's game last night. Chi-Chi Gonzalez got his first major league win in five years, a 2-1 victory. Nolan hit like a 475-foot home run in the first inning, a two-run homer. That was the only scoring for the Rockies. Mm. They held on. It was great. Um, which brings me, do you know the – Joe Montana, John Candy story. No. So this was in Nick Groke's piece, and the piece was called Do the Rockies Have a Fun Problem? So Bud Black was talking about different times fun has played a role in sports. And he was like, "Was is the Joe Montana story about John Candy true? And the author says, yes, it's Nick Groke. Um, and what he said, what happened was they were down in a Super Bowl. They needed a big drive. They're in the huddle. Uh, Joe Montana looks into the crowd and he points and he's like, hey, look, it's John Candy, the actor. And the team just relaxes and they go down, drive, win the game. It's that Jerry Rice throw. That was the moment that like relaxed the team. And then there's this great story and it's Bud Black asking this. And didn't Troy Tulowitzki say something in the clubhouse that one time about the Dragon Slayer? And Groke says, that's mostly true, too. It's about that moment at Coors Field in 2007 when manager Clint Hurdle told his team Josh Fogg, the Dragon Slayer, would start for the Rockies in game 163 against Black's Padres. And the Rockies' all-star shortstop stood up in front of his silent and worried teammates and said sarcastically, we stand no fucking chance before the team blew up in laughter. (laughs) Not a story that I knew. Great story. Um, Also funny because it's Tulowitzki that was like the, the... clown of the locker room not how we think about him in later years yeah but the point of the story was and we've talked about this the Rockies are so serious and that is one of the reasons they've taken this dive they got rid of cargo they got rid of uh Gerardo Parra those were the fun guys in the locker room the older veterans that made everyone relax all the way back to the time of Todd Helton in the case of Carlos Gonzalez and the Rockies big stars the Blackmans the Desmond Big money star, less big <laughs> star. The Arenados and the tr- Trevor stories. Your face went so flat. I know. I was <laughs> like, oh no, I'm on the wrong order here. Um, they all 
are very serious. They're very workmanlike. They believe in just getting the work done, grinding it out, which doesn't let anyone take a breath. I've been in that locker room when they're bad and, or that clubhouse and you cannot breathe in there. And I completely understand what Bud Black is saying. And it, from the article, Groke says that some of the younger guys, um, specifically the guys from the Latin American countries have been trying to loosen things up. And Ryan McMahon has also been trying to loosen things up, which is funny. It's just like the Tony Walters or the Ryan McMahon. Really? And that's funny. I like the Rockies have always been. Yeah. Kind of like stiff. Like, I mean, the many different sports euphemisms for a locker room guy. Uh, first one in. Last one out, lunch pail. Like, the Rockies have been, like, some very, like, stiff-necked dudes. And looking at, like, the trend of, like, more Latin American players, like, the Rockies seem to be getting all of their guys from a nice Midwestern school. Um, surprise, Ryan McMahon looks like a dude who does not laugh too often at all. No, so, and he's been the, like, best story of the season has been how well he's come along. Like, yeah. He looks like a legitimate everyday player. But you're right. He's not the guy you think would be cracking the jokes. You think he looks like he's Trevor Story, very serious, yeah. reserved. And Tre- Trevor Story, like uh, Reddit and Twitter people love him, like old ocean eyes. Um, there's like one gif that when he does good, people point to him like winking at the camera. But yeah, I mean, the Rockies are just, especially when they're bad, but Nolan, as talented as he is, as expressive as he can be in some moments, like his Father's Day walk-off, one of the most amazing Rockies moments, it just – it you don't get a vibe that these guys have all the fun in the world together. Um, except for Blackman. And Blackman, yeah, he seems like a serious guy, but the beard, the walk-up song – that he's gives a, a little bit of He's a weird guy, but you can't see him going in and like making everyone laugh in the clubhouse. Like he's the guy that like does something funny in the side and people notice. Yeah. But it's not no one in this locker room is Ryan Spielborgs. No. And no. that is really what they're missing. So during the bad the last bad stretch, the Rockies lost ninety eight games, which is what it seems like is like their ceiling this year. And that I'm looking just to make sure, but I'm pretty sure that was their worst season ever in 2012. So currently they're on pace for their worst season ever, at least tying it, which is just unbelievable. They were above 500 going into July. Um, just real quick, going to some other fun news. We'll, we'll wrap this thing up. <laughs> yeah. FIBA. You want to give oh, us a yeah. FIBA update? Um, FIBA world cup. Don't worry y'all. You can go back to not really caring about international basketball. Um, the U S who had, been entirely undefeated, just lost in the semifinals against a France team, which was a bubble contender, but in recent games has really stepped up that they're playing with a lot of chemistry. Um, You knew Rudy Gobert was going to be a problem, but former Nugget and former beautiful hair-having phenom, uh, Evan Fournier had a great game, played great defense, along with Frank Nicotolina, um, who is a bubble bust for the Knicks. The France team whooped ass, so the U.S. has been eliminated. They play their fifth-place game against a Serbia team, which looked like the front runners. In the last two games, they really fell back to earth quickly. Jokic played well in both games, but... 
Um, he was restricted. He wasn't allowed to play yeah. full minutes. Wasn't allowed to play full minutes. And just he'd been coming off the bench, which all the Serbians on Reddit was like, I was about to do a Serbian accent, uh, but that's problematic for <laughs> numerous reasons. Um, they were saying, like, oh, Serbia basketball, it doesn't matter what role you play. You just play it well and we get ball movement. But um, they really came apart and it just seemed that their game plan wasn't ready for a team that's better than Puerto Rico and Angola that they blew out by 40 points. Um, so Serbia-U.S. play the fifth-round game in a couple of days. Plumley versus Jokic. I hope that Plumley gets plenty of time against Jokic. Plumley like, has not shown up well, at all. But there are going to be a bunch of guys that aren't going to want to play, so I could see Popovich being like, yeah, Plumley gets to play. True. Oh, I don't want to see Jokic play that. I, yeah, he probably shouldn't. Um, I want to get called up for that. Spain. They now seem like the world beaters. Uh, Wancho Hernan Gomez. Um, Plays for the Nuggets, in case you don't know. Yeah, but a dude who's like fighting for any roster spot against on the Nuggets looks like he could be a dark horse MVP player along Ricky Rubio. Um, the dude is hitting the shots, getting his boards, and playing with a motor that you we hope to see come um, October with the Nuggets. But besides that, meh. Good on Australia. They actually look like they could win it too. Um, France and then Argentina. So it looks like it's a soccer World Cup game um, with the U.S. not being involved at all. Our first big look at Jokic was an international play, so maybe this is the ascension of Wancho to being the player that we needed him to be last year. Yeah, it would be great. I think his um, trade stock – if we're looking at it from strictly business terms, has risen somewhat from nothing to maybe the Nuggets could flip him if he doesn't end up being a important rotation player. But, yeah, um, FIBA was a fun time. Um, there were no streams available to watch most games, and they all happened at 4 in the morning. So um, you can continue to not care about international basketball. I am back on that trade. The other thing coming up this week, the Avalanche start training camp officially on Friday. They had the rookie showcase last week, which from all reports was fine. Uh, they didn't really play the top players after the first game, but the defensemen that we need to do well are doing well. So we'll definitely talk more about that. Before we close out, just a, a brief mention of 9-11. Yeah, it was just crazy. I was working in schools today with like young people, f fully formed near adults who were not alive during 9-11 and just thinking about the impact that it had on the sports world like one of the earliest memories I had was watching that Monday night game uh, where the Broncos played the Giants and Ed McCaffrey at the time he was like the last big symbol of the Broncos glory years of Super Bowl winning he broke his leg and at that moment that was like the most jarring, impactful thing I'd ever seen on live TV. And then just so quickly putting into perspective the next morning, walk into my um, parents' room and seeing the World Trade Center on fire and a plane fly into it. Uh, as time passes, more and more stories will get told and perspectives brought up. But just thinking in perspective, I love sports. Um but I love my friends, family more, and you just never know when that time will come where you don't get any more. So at year 19 of the 9-11 anniversary, just a perspective that we get to have, and 
how happy I am to be doing this right here with you, my dude. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that when those things happen, you sometimes the sports is the thing that brings you together. I mean, I remember those first games back in New York and the Yankees being in the world series and yeah, that game, I think Terrell Davis also got hurt in that game. I think it was like the end of the era officially between the two. And that was, I heard uh, Andy Lindahl was talking about that and how Ed McCaffrey was in the hospital the next day and just thought he was hallucinating because he couldn't believe that that's what was going on um, because he was under so many drugs. But uh, remembering that, I think, um, you know, it's always bigger than sports, but it's one of the things that we do this show because, you know, we want an escape from those, those realities at times. Yeah. I mean, the world is a complicated place and sports makes a lot of sense. Um, when everything else can be so subjective. But, I mean, it is it is an amazing thing how sports brings people together. Like, we think the country's super divided, but on Sunday in that parking lot at Empower Field at Mile High, um, we're all just Broncos fans. And, that, I mean, that's an ongoing conversation with the NFL um, about the place politics has in sports. I say Sports is inherently political, but on a human level amongst countrymen and country folk, it's a beautiful thing, and I'm super happy to have it in my life. I agree. Um, That's it for the Denver's. Yep, signing out. Catch you next week.